Hello and welcome to the CRE with Cobalt Banker Commercial Worldwide Podcast. My name is Christina Ballas, the National Director of Strategic Implementation for CBC, and I'll be your host. Today, we are joined by Ofo Izugu, the CEO and founder of WIL, Who's Your Landlord?, and the 2022 Forbes 30 Under 30 lister for his work in social impact. Now, hang on tight for this resume because holy is it impressive. WIL is a VC and Google-backed platform that turns meaningful feedback from residents on their living experiences into actionable insights that help home providers better understand and engage their communities. He graduated from Temple University and was the VP of the student body and the youngest alumni convocation speaker in the school's history. Ofo was recently named to Forbes' Next 1000 list, recognized as the Young Professional of the Year by the African American Chamber of Commerce, and was named one of BET's 30 Under 30, as well as Modern Man by Black Enterprise. His work has been featured in TechCrunch, Newsweek, the Philadelphia Inquirer, Blavity, the New York Post, and more. Additionally, he is a board of trustee member at DUville College and sits on the board of directors for several nonprofit organizations. He's actively engaged in the community and often speaks to local grade schools in the New York City area on leadership, college planning, entrepreneurship, and life skills. Ofo has given lectures on tech, entrepreneurship, and leader skills at prestigious institutions like the White House during the Obama administration, Harvard University, Princeton University, Columbia University, the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, among others. He's a professional actor and a model as well, and has lead roles in productions like The Letter, which recently premiered at the Lincoln Center, and has walked New York Fashion Week over the years. He's worked with companies like Nike, ESPN, Facebook, Starbucks, and more. Ofo lives by the mantra, no steps backward, just forward progress. Wow. If you weren't impressed by that, I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. We are thrilled to dig into how Ofo has accomplished so much, what drives him, and where he sees the future for the work he's doing. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today. No, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. And to be honest, hearing it back, like, <laughs> it's, I, I don't know how I found the time to do all those things. But I, I look, I, I stay excited and it really is no steps back with this board progress. So I'm really happy to be. It's amazing. I feel like part of the tech that you own must be somehow ways to slow time down because I am not sure how you accomplished <laughs> all of that by now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's funny. I think there's that adage of like, even Oprah only had 24 hours in a day. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I think about that a lot. Like, I think a big part of a big part of just the, the success that I've met so far has just been, I'm, I'm willing to go there, right? So whether it was New York or Philadelphia or Los Angeles or Buffalo, New York or DC, that like, if I can, if I can hop on a flight or hop in my car and go, I'll show up. And so I think that's, that's a big part of the battle right there is just being willing to show up. That's a very good perspective. I want to know how you got it in your system that you, you know, that you wanted to not just start WIL, but why you were on a trajectory to accomplish so much. So I want to ask a little bit about your upbringing. For sure. So I come from two immigrants to this country. My mom is from Barbados. My dad is from Nigeria. Mom moved here when she was 11 um, to Flatbush, uh, Brooklyn, New York. And then dad moved here when he was 18. 
And they met in Buffalo, New York, in Niagara University, so Niagara Falls, a little bit north of Buffalo. And so I, I think just first and foremost, the ex- immigrant experience is as entrepreneurial as it comes because you kind of land on someone else's soil effectively and there is no turning back. You got to figure it out and make it successful, make it work. So uh, that is already instilled in me. And I grew up with the, the big like brown canister in the living room that where you fill it up and send it back to Barbados. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to have opportunities to travel to Nigeria. And when we would do that, we'd bring 25, 30 suitcases. There was only like five or six of us from a family perspective, like a nuclear family going over there. But you bring all those suitcases because you leave so much of the stuff there, right? So that was already, I was being primed without even really realizing it as, as, a, as a young kid. And then, you know, my mom's a nurse. My dad's a cardiologist. Effectively, he was running his own business, right? His own practice. So without, again, realizing it, I was learning what it looked like to be an entrepreneur. And so all that to say, you know, by the time I got to, by the time I was graduating high school, I'd already known I was going to study entrepreneurship and technology. And at the time, that was like a like entrepreneurship was a brand new major. Several colleges were picking up, so it was still in reality just like business, right? But I knew I, I knew how to label it. I knew what the thought was, what I wanted to do, and what I wanted to be. And so that was the the impetus, I believe, for for my drive and my passion. That's amazing. So I find it so interesting when you say your dad was a cardiologist and you saw him being a businessman, really. Talk to us about how that connects, because I've never really connected the two. To me, it was like medicine was different than business, but that is very profound. For sure. I mean, you know, he would he would talk about his employee meetings, like his team meetings, and he would talk about, you know, someone at the front desk is doing an excellent job, and they've been able to make the processes a lot smoother in the office, and how to shorten the wait time for patients that came to the, like all these things that you know, it, they're the mechanics, the operations, the the ebbs and the flows of running a business, right? You know, when when the laws change, it affects you know the practice, right? And and so I hear those conversations at the dinner table, and and also too, I, I saw how he could say, "I want to go on vacation this time, this time, and this time," and he could just say it. It, it was that's what it was, you know. Yeah. And him and my mom had always had this ongoing joke where she'd be like, "Well, you know, I have, I have to ask the man if I can get off." So, and he'd be like, yeah, you got to tell the man you need off at this time, right? So I I just appreciated their their partnership and I appreciated too, you know, understanding even if it's medicine, right? Like at the end of the day that the the dollars and cents have to make sense for it to to thrive. So particularly you add to the fact that, you know, I grew up mostly in Maryland and my dad's practice was in Baltimore City. So the demographics were also folks that many doctors didn't want to engage with. Right, because they felt like they'd be paid less money than if you had a, a, operations in the in the suburbs. So, everything about you know my parents' existence, my family's existence has been about impact. Right, yeah. um, making sure that people that look like myself and others are not forgotten, but it, you know instead are are shown that they they're valuable too. So that's been ingrained. Again, some of it I didn't even realize was happening, and a lot of it as I've gotten older, I've, I've been very conscious of. That's interesting. I'm like making connections here as to what WYL does and a little bit of some of maybe what your dad did with his practice too. But before I I try to connect those dots, whether they're real or not, you'll have to tell me. But why don't you talk to us a little bit more about what WYL does and you know why you thought it was important, the gap that you filled. And so let's let's dig in a little bit there and then we'll loop back around. Sure. So WYL, which is short for who's your landlord is a platform that gathers resident feedback around their buildings. There's the staff, the management, and we turn it into analytics and insights that 
guide those same owners and operators and how to improve their performance, right? Because an improved performance in this realm of resident feedback and engaging them leads to higher retention rates, leads to, you know, more data-driven capital improvement decisions that leads to faster lease up times. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, leads to happier residents. So from, from our vantage point, it made a lot of sense. I think the reason why I started it was when I was at Temple University, I was serving as the VP of the student body my senior year. I had moved when I was in college a few times. And so I, I knew the process of looking for housing. You know, at the time you were scouring Craigslist, you'd see what was available. And because, worst. you know, it was the worst, right? Like, and no, no shade to Craigslist, you know, but also shade, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, me and my friends would like, we would go into a property, you know, an apartment or, you know, or like a townhouse in Philly. And we, when we go on the tour, everything was always amazing, right? That's the whole point of the tour. So we, we saw that very quickly. We'd, we'd leave, we'd come back the next day without the leasing agent, without the landlord. We'd knock on the door, we'd ask the resident, how was your experience really? And the yeah. answers we got just varied so drastically. Sometimes it was echoing everything the leasing agent said in a good way. It was like, okay, this is, this is the spot. And sometimes it would be like, mm -mm, run as fast as you can, right? And so I think, for me, it was how do you take that that conversation in person that required us to walk back to this place, required that person to open their door, required there to be some level of trust for them to share, yeah. and and put it online, right? In a way that it's fast, it's it's instantaneous. It's I can type it and send it, and now I can see it. So that was the first thought around WIL, and we had launched this like beta version of it during my senior year at Temple, and it was it was responded to extremely well. So it took a couple of years to think of like figuring out first how to fund it <laughs> to how to build a team, the whole nine. But we eventually launched a platform in 2015 and just focused on resident reviews exclusively. As time has gone on, what was so interesting was, I mean, even months into launching it as a company in 2015, we were already getting emails from different property managers saying, hey, your platform has helped us to create a more safe, secure, and comfortable environment for our residents. You know, I remember, I'd never forget this one landlord was in Florida at property in Philly and was like, you know, I didn't know my management team was underperforming. So I actually was able to replace them with a team that's more, you know, more viable. And so it just, I, I didn't think about the layers on the owner operator side. Now, as I speak, you'll hear me say more resident and home provider. And the reason being is those terms are restorative of dignity to those, both those people, right? Instead of tenant, it's resident. And instead of landlord, which is so asymmetrical just in name, mm -hmm. or property manager, it's, it's your service. It's right. It's, it's you're providing a home for others. So home provider. So I, I think that's been fascinating, too, is, is just hanging around long enough to see the industry start to adopt that energy a little bit, getting bigger and bigger. But I think we're starting to be aware of the fact that it's just not it's not numbers on spreadsheets. It's not first name, last name, and and are they in the in the unit or not? These are these are humans, and two and a half years in our homes during COVID has I think reminded all of us, even the people in those positions. Wait a second, if I'm in these four walls 24/7 now, work, sleep, joy, kids, partner, it, I, I I gotta have I gotta really trust and have confidence in the people that are running the space, right? Yeah. So it just starts there, and it continues to mushroom and grow into something much larger, which has been really cool. That's amazing. I. I'm so deep in thought over Craigslist. I can't let that go, man. For, for anybody that's either of a previous generation that didn't have to worry about it, that you probably just knew a friend that had an apartment to rent or you looked in the paper, you 
you were spared the Craigslist woes. And for anybody that's too young, good for you. But man, I feel like I just want to tell people what it was like. I mean, you would just go on this database and you don't know what you were going to get. You didn't know who you were going to meet. It opened the doors to so many more possibilities because it was online, but it was scary. And I'll say as a, as a woman looking for housing, man, to just like call a phone number, show up at a place and hope that it was really a place to rent from, like that was frightening. I feel like from, I mean, I don't know if, I think you and I actually talked at the Narcy 5 Summit that the concept of safety for me is so important. And I lived on my own for a long time. And so, you know, even to go look at a property was a little nerve wracking or you would ask a friend or whatever, if you had somebody that could come with you so that you weren't just kind of this single female by yourself, putting yourself at risk, unfortunately. But like that, the idea of safety and like what your service could provide and making you feel safe even to check out a property is pretty incredible. No, I mean, I, I can't echo that, you know, enough. One of the stories that always sticks in, in my mind was a few years ago, we had a young woman from Venezuela. She was an immigrant in New York City and she had found a place on Craigslist. So this was just a few years ago. This is still a real thing. Found a place on Craigslist. Apparently, this guy had been effectively squatting there. He didn't really own the property, but they they were doing construction on the higher floors. So, but he had these, these lower floors that were like pretty well done, and he started renting them out on Craigslist. So, oh, fake land, wow. landlord renting out a place that wasn't even legally, you know, sound to be in. And one day she comes back from work, and I, I you know, it's so crazy. It's like I remember her talking about how how like, arduous her day was just to make ends meet. One day she comes back home from work and all her jewelry and everything is missing. Oh, and this, they, they, you know, there's signs that are, we're like, this is not right. But when, when we're desperate as humans, we, we will, we will make decisions that aren't always serving our interests. So there, her and the other residents were like, we actually don't know this guy's name because <laughs> they, they all got robbed. So that now yeah. they're discussing that like, we don't know this guy's name. He, they would call him like, it's like some name that wasn't a real name. So um, it, so what ended up happening was one of the residents actually had a piece of mail that came to the property that was in the person's actual name. So the guy throws it into Facebook and this video pops up on this guy's page and it's him in a car talking about how he just scammed some more renters. Man. Right? So we ended up, like she talked to us, we ended up connecting with the New York City Public Advocates Division and connecting with the local police to try to resolve this scenario. And when you're when you're hearing these kinds of things, you're like, there, there is always gonna be a use case for our platform. And it, it's it's dual-sided, right? Like everyone can understand and, and say that safety matters. That yeah. There's just no way, to be honest, our platform shouldn't even have to exist, right? It, yeah. we, if everybody was just kind-hearted, it wouldn't exist. Sure. Right? But that's, that's not our reality. So you yeah. have safety, that's a big factor in terms of, even determining where you're going to sign that lease or even tour property. And then on the other side of it, if you're a home provider, you need this kind of data because there are little things you can do that you can shift or change that will, will send your retention rates through the roof, right? Yeah. That, that will make your residents happy to engage with you. That'll make them evangelists of the space that they live in and say, hey, you need to live in this building too. That's invaluable. And so I think creating that connection, it shouldn't be that hard, but it, it has been hard because you're in a position, meaning us, to explain how do you take qualitative insight and turn them into quantitative outcomes. Yeah. But now we're able to do that pretty efficiently. So it, it, that's moving the conversation forward and moving the industry forward. But in the beginning, you know, I think everyone was just like just scared. Yeah. But, you know, information online in an industry that's been not transparent for a long time, that's scary to anybody. But 
the reality is if you want reviews for your Amazon, you know, purchases and you want reviews in the local coffee shop before you get a meet book a meeting there and you want reviews on your rental homes, like why wouldn't we have the same data for the homes we live in 24 seven? Right. Yeah. So it all, it all comes together at the end of the day. So tell me about the data that you are able to, I guess, maybe talk about the way you started, right? Like the data you started gathering, and then how did that kind of formulate into the buckets that maybe you now concentrate on or how you kind of filter things through for it, for it to be usable, right? Because like you said, there's so much data out there. How do you make it actionable? It's it's funny because like, I think the 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 youthfulness in me wants to say it was luck but in reality we were a bit more prepared than i give us credit for the first thing we actually did was interview like 300 renters and and home providers like we went around philadelphia and new york city and just started talking to people to understand what were the attributes that contributed to them you know living anywhere and what we found consistently were things like responsiveness condition of property safety so at, from day one, we actually always had those core attributes listed on our platform. And so as a result, when we, as we would gather the, the data over time, it was bucketed in a way where, because we did ask a few hundred people, it was the right kind of data. And so as, yeah. we, as we started getting in front of more home providers and started hearing more anecdotal stories, the one big one being Jeff Buell from Redbird Development, we're sitting on a panel in Denver, Colorado one day talking about entrepreneurship. And he was like, wait a second, you founded Who's Your Landlord? I was like, yeah, that's my company. He goes, your company helped me to 3X the value of my portfolio and grow its value by $42 million. And I, I was dumbfounded. So I, wow. I immediately put off my phone and had him record that whole conversation again. Yeah, sure. It, it, and it was it was choppy. So I, I emailed him after, like, no, no, we have to get this. So he invited me and my team up to, to Albany, New York, their headquarters at a new $82 million project they had just built. And uh, we sit down and do a whole interview and he breaks down how it happened. Like you gather the, you take this feedback that it existed on this property that was being operated by a different company. Look at this feedback. They had, his company had acquired it. They just adhered all those insights to how they made every capital improvement decision, how they, and then how they branded and messaged the building going forward. And as a result, they were able to go to their investors and lenders and show that change, right? And, and when they operated this building versus the, the, the their the previous owner. So, those kind of things just change the game for us. And again, yeah. started realizing these attributes matter because also what's different about it is by the time a resident is going through our surveys and answering questions around those attributes, when they're ready to provide their commentary, they're primed to provide commentary that's actually additive and valuable to the home provider and other residents versus a situation where you have a comment box and some stars and it's reactionary in nature. You know, and so a resident, you know, their fridge breaks, their groceries go bad. Now they're on Google giving you a one star and giving you this book of a review that's just all over the place. Right. Yeah. But it's not indicative of their entire experience. It, it's one week or two weeks versus a year lease or two year lease. So I think happenstance, but also in, in a very prepared fashion, we put ourselves in position to get the right insights and help the right people through this process which now ends up being both residents and home providers. Have you built into your, so obviously I could see the the benefit for home providers to, to understand what's going on in their space, right? Especially if you're an investor and you may not be local or et cetera, but is there kind of the reverse reviews for residents? So like, you know, when you go to a vacation house, like I can review the vacation home on VRBO. And then once I hit send, I actually get a review back on what kind of a, a you know, house guest I was. And I was like, oh, 
that's good that I was so nice and cleaned up after myself. I didn't know that happened. <laughs> no, for sure. It, it makes me think of my, my, my good friend, Sipo, the CEO of Matrix. We, we, we were joking the other day because his Uber score is less, is not as high as he wants it to be. It's still high. <laughs> but it's not, and the reason is he, he and his wife were in Napa Valley. He gets in the, the back of the car with a glass of wine, hit a bump, the wine goes everywhere, the driver's upset. So the, the, the reverse review tends to matter. In housing, it's, a, it's different, right? It just, it's by default, right? Fair housing laws just preclude you from really being able to do that because that if, if a home provider says something, and look, and that's why I acknowledge, like there, there's asymmetry all over the place. I think our job too is to create some level of, of transparency and balance as best as we can. Because if you're going to say there, there can be home providers that are bad actors, well, certainly there can be residents that are bad actors too. You, you, can't, you can't disassociate that reality. So I think on our end, we understand fair housing laws don't allow a home provider to unequivocally say this person's a bad renter because if they can't find housing after that, you get sued, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the nuance. But I think there's things we're thinking about in the future as to how we can maybe not like it's not reverse reviews. I don't, I don't think that's ever really a thing that can happen legally. But I think there's ways that residents can use our platform to also to engage their home provider for recommendations and things of that nature, where, mm. it's, where it's more of the culture to say, hey, we, we, we do it now. Like, can I get a referral from your previous sure. you know, home provider? But I think if we can digitize that process within whatever what we're offering, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. So there's a lot of like, there's a nexus to a lot of things that we are aware of. I think it's a matter of being focused and doing doing it in a smart way that I think you can have good intentions and sometimes miss the mark in terms of what actually happens. Everything we do, we want to have good intentions, build it, test it, test it, test it, and then roll it out if it's working appropriately. So that'll always be our methodology going forward as as a firm. For sure. I want to connect the dots back to to you know your dad's work and then even maybe your time at, at college, because I think we're contemporaries. When you were thinking about like ratings and reviews, is that like you saw maybe your dad's practice or there was like ZocDocs or even like Rate My Professor, like growing up in this era where reviews have really kind of, is that where you were like, man, I just needed a review on like my apartment I want to rent? Or did you, you know, was it just in in your actual experience trying to rent and not finding a good space? I think there was, I think Rate My Professor certainly had an impact because I was used to using that for college courses. So when it's it, interesting, there was so much, like I, I actually was meeting with the um, assemblyman the other day and he was saying that 70% of the people that walk into his office, 70% of the problems that come up in his office every day are around housing. And mm. what was interesting about that was when I was in college and we were running for student government, that's the same thing that kept coming up, right? You know, I love Temple University, right? It, but it, it's a growing school. It's a vibrant community. So it's what happens when there's a growing school and vibrant community in an existing community People get moved. Gentrification sure. is real, right? A lot of newer home providers, you know, come into the market and say, I want to make money. I can charge per room when it comes to college students, but they're not really equipped to, to run these properties or they haven't passed basic things when it comes to license and inspections and things of that nature that a college student has no idea what any of that even means. They don't know what a rider is versus the lease. They don't... I'm, nope. Sign it, please, right? You know, like yeah. your, your mom or dad, can you co-sign with me because I can't afford this, right? That's yeah. that's it. That's it. So for me, I was I was hearing that so, so consistently. I saw it myself. Like there has to be a better way. But I think those two things played a big role. And then in the, in the future, my my dad and I talked about it a little bit because you know Zocdoc exists and all that stuff. And it's funny because I I love having the conversations with him because 
I can hear how on the home provider side, where they're going to be the issues, like where, yeah. well, I, I don't think that should be up there. That, and so I can understand the business owner's perspective as well. And for there to be change effective in any capacity, it needs to be a meeting in the middle, right? You yeah. can't yell and shout at one side. You can't yell and shout at the other side. You can't only support one side and only support, you, how far can you get? But if you meet in the middle, a lot more, you know, a lot more magic can happen in moving the industry forward. And that's what we're starting to see. Oh boy, if that's not prolific, I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> Cheers <laughs> to that. <laughs> Amazing. So let's, gosh, I have, I have a few more questions. I know that we're getting to, to some of our time, but I just have a few more questions. One was, you know, I really wanted to think about for our audience and thinking about commercial real estate and, in, you know, investors in, in that sort of space, you know, where do you see the future for your organization and really like, I guess, the resident home provider kind of intersection, but but how do you kind of frame this in a way that that really makes sense to see where the future is in the commercial real estate space? I think the framing is happening kind of on its own where, you know, ESG, the, those three letters have become a little bit buzzy. I, I don't mm. think they should be, but you know, that's how we tend to do things in our society is to make it a trend, which means trends die at some point. I don't want yeah. it to be that. But if you look overseas, sustainability, there's so much work that's already been done that the writing's on the wall, right? And yeah. so when you think of ESG here, environmental, social governance, it's not going anywhere. And I think some of these bigger lenders, these bigger governments, sponsored enti entities, they have internal mandates around making this, making this housing process and experience one that suits renters in a much better way, either through putting more money in their pockets, either through, through empowering them, like at the end of the day, we, you know, we, we hope the American dream is still attainable. So having people perpetually rent when they're not desiring to do that, that's not a winning societal strategy, right? So I think there's a lot of energy around changing things in our industry. And so I, I always say, I have this adage personally, I guess, of like, sometimes you have to stick around long enough for something to happen. And I, I feel like we we're doing that, right? Like all of yeah. a sudden, when I bring up resident and home provider, it's not like, oh, more language changing. It's like, it's like, no, I, I get it. I, we need to change the language around this because it, that's the start, starting point, right? It's understanding that renters have a voice too. It's also seeing that from a millennial and Gen Z perspective, there's a lot more, there's a lot more affluent renters, sure. right? So before these ideas were thought of as like, oh, it's like a poor people, poor person's problem. Mm. Well, no, like, if your building is, and I have a friend like this, in his building, it's like 12 lawyers. Well, good luck if you're the owner operator dealing with that, with, with that building, <laughs> like, like those residents, right? So it, because of the fact that people are more sophisticated, because there's more money in this space than ever before, because we've underdeveloped for a long time and now we're trying to like ramp it back up because yeah. there's woeful gaps in affordable housing. There's, there's so many issues <laughs> that at the end of the day, we're, we're human with a head, limbs, and a heart that pumps blood and a brain that thinks for us. Like, it, that's what we're, we're, we're left to, right? So, it, so we have to help each other. We have to think about how to engage each other. That's the only way, again, we can move the industry forward is by having a more expansive thought and understanding we, as humans, we spend over 80% of our lives in buildings. Yes. When you I mean, since that, shifting work from home, for goodness sakes, I spend 80... I spend 70% of my day, 80% of my day in one room because I sleep and work mm -hmm. in the same space. Right. So like, that's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. 
it's crazy. But but that that's why carbon emissions are so high in the in the resident in the real estate space, right? So all these things are real things, and if we don't start addressing them, the the, the fissures will start to show, right? And they already are showing. So I think it's a lot of government activities, a lot of private entities activities, a lot of technological firms like ourselves that that bridge that gap between like physical and digital. All those components are needed to move to move us to a place that that's more palatable for society in general. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I was reading in the brochure you gave me, the WIL brochure, there was mention of your podcast about something about ownership, right? So I think it's like connecting like renters to ownership and trying to do that responsibly or when you're, when people are ready. But so A, tell us about your podcast, but then B, you know, how do you see that? Is it just rent to own like first time homebuyer or is it even thinking about investing in multifamily spaces yourself? Like so to take somebody that is a resident in a multifamily unit, theoretically, to then become a home provider for multiple or is it just bridging that gap to like, OK, you should just own a home and not rent a space? I think both are, are real components, right? You know, well, first to start with the podcast piece. Yeah. This is a little bit, this is a little bit dated, unfortunately. Right now we're not active with the podcast. Okay. But I think, but maybe this is the right place to say at some point it's got to come back. So maybe yeah. you talking on your podcast. There you go. Podcast, there we go. <laughs> but uh, what, what's, what's interesting is from a renter to ownership perspective, like, but I, I forgot which dating app had part of their pitch, if you will, or their commercial messaging is like our goal is for you to never have to use us after a certain point right oh and i'm like yeah, that's sure. it right sure, you know like right. you find the person of your dreams yeah. i delete the app right i think it's, that's cool marketing for us to like yeah right like i i think there's always going to be a reason for us to exist but should every human have to use us their entire life i don't think that's accurate i think that you know the average person was renting three and a half years average college student was renting three and a half years out of college in the 80s now that number is almost 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> so like that jump in about 40-ish years has been crazy to think about, which, you know, is not bad for business, right? Like on the, from that vantage point. But the yeah. other part of it too is, again, if if a renter wants to rent, that's fine. I think that that's a, we, we all should have that agency. But if you're someone who is trying to save to eventually own a home five years on the line, eight years on the line, a decade on the line, you should also be able to do that and not forced into a process that you, where you can't get ahead. So from, I think part of it is just advocating for renters to, you know, if your desire is to eventually own a home, we certainly want you to save and put yourself in a position to do it. And if there's ways and resources we can provide and help all for that. The other part of it too, though, is, yeah, I think in the future, like, I, I know WIL's name, logo, the whole nine is and will mean something powerful, yeah. right? And so maybe it's just how we have it currently where home providers are already putting our window decals on the front of their buildings and you can see this is a wyl building you know maybe it's through a certification process some of these things i'm playing coy i already know we're planning on doing but i can't say it right sure. but like also yeah maybe it's maybe it is building li livable communities that are are very diverse in, in nature and in, you know, and, and have our fingerprints all over it because we thoroughly understand quality of service. We have a team that also has a strong a background in the real estate industry from a management perspective to a development one, even capital markets. Like we understand a lot about a lot. So there, in short, there's a lot that I think will happen in the future. But at least for now, we got a lot more work in front of us. So we'll focus on that. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I think that is a great way for us to get to our 
conclusion key takeaway spot. So if we are going to have our listeners either do one thing, remember one thing, you know, or remember top three things, what are your takeaways that you want our listeners to take from this? If you, first of all, if you're, if you're a resident, hop on our platform right now, post a review, create a profile, you know, whatever the case is, post a review online. Secondly, if you're a home provider, that means the way we define that is an owner operator who views their residents as, as human first and deserving of respect and dignity. I think there's a lot more of, a, of us out there that think that way than, than our, than that media or energy would let us believe. But in reality, I think there are a lot of home providers that really do care. So I would say for those folks, reach out to us. Let's talk at wyl.co. Again, it's let's talk at wyl.co. We'd love to have a meeting. Love to get you on the platform because we, we need more home providers out there that care. And then lastly, what I would say is, what do I want to say with my last? I have three slots here. First was residents. Second was home provider. Third will be to, to the audience here at Coldwell Banker commercial, right? There's a, there's a way that we are additive to, I think, your experience, whether it's selling, whether it's renting a space. And so to be able to utilize our data to, to help you in that process, use it. WYL.co, it's out there. And also, too, use it as a convenient excuse to get back in front of a previous client, right? Hey, I have this new technology you should try out, you should think about to add, you know, to add value to the way you manage the space, but also to the asset itself. We're a convenient excuse to use us and and. and and we're always looking to partner up with folks that, you know, want to want to continue to shift the industry, but also to want to help us generate income. We're a business, right? At the end of the day. Yeah. So those would be my three, my three requests. Amazing. Well, I would highly recommend anybody that falls into any of those buckets to reach out to Ofo and his team. I mean, they are A, easy to talk to, B, pleasant, and just really forward thinking and filling gaps that that exist in this space. And it's been such a joy talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. For anybody that loved this episode or any of our previous ones, don't forget to like or subscribe to our podcast. And I guess maybe tune in to see if Ofo resurrects his podcast too. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Find us online at WY Landlord. Excited to be here. Thanks, Christina, for having me. This has been great. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. 